Tanaka, Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. In today's episode, I am joined by Chris Gruber, the Vice President and Dean of Admission and Financial Aid at Davidson College in Davidson, North Carolina. Davidson is one of the country's premier liberal arts colleges, serving just over 2,000 students on its beautiful campus, just 20 miles outside the thriving city of Charlotte, North Carolina. I had a chance to meet Chris last March during a series of meetings with deans at colleges and universities throughout the Southeast. His energy and passion for his work, still evident after 33 years in roles at both Davidson and the University of Richmond, compelled me to extend an invitation to him to join me on the podcast. I'm so glad he agreed to visit me, dig into the realities of college admissions today, and share some thoughts on the evolution of teaching and learning on a college campus like Davidson's. So enjoy this episode. The From My Angle podcast with Chris Gruber. So, Chris Gruber, welcome. Calling in today from uh, Davidson, North Carolina, Davidson College. We're so glad to have you on the From My Angle podcast. Thanks for being allowing me to be with you. Well, we're we're glad to have you. I got a chance to come see you last March as I made a sweep through the. Uh, the, the North Carolina colleges at Duke and UNC and Davidson. Uh, of course, that was uh, old stomping grounds for me, having spent 16 years at Ravenscroft School in, in Raleigh, and it was great to be back on campus. And so enjoyed our conversation with you that I was uh, certain that as we explored some of the realities of today's college uh, admissions processes for our parents here on the on the eve and the cusp of uh, application uh, and, and applications being sent for our seniors, that this would be a profitable conversation. So so glad to have you. But tell us a little bit first about you know your own story. Uh, you're uh, an independent. Uh, you're independent school affiliated as a as a, a board member there, at Cannon School, just outside Charlotte, and of course uh, have worked your way into into college into college admissions work. So tell us a little bit about the story and how you got to where you are today. You bet. You bet. Uh, Thirty three years in the books already. Had done twenty years at the University of Richmond, and then came and in my fourteenth year here at Davidson. When we moved down this way, that is when we entered the independent school world for, and we were looking originally just for my son. And as we found the Cannon School, we realized that was a wonderful place for our entire family. So I have two kids that are out of there. I've got two school teachers. Um, so one that is right. in fifth year of teaching. I've got one that is, um, has two years in the books and is actually headed out on a Fulbright this upcoming year. So he's gonna be stepping away from his classroom. And then I've got this high school senior. Oh, you, you're in the process. I am. I absolutely am. And I know nothing about this. Yeah. So I don't know why you've got me as one of your, uh, your resident experts, because as most parents, I know nothing. Uh-huh. Well, we'll explore that a little bit as the conversation goes. So, yeah, you went right at, at Richmond, right into college admissions work. And then, of course, uh, I think we'll circle back in a little bit to your, your work as a board member's independent school, which is, which is sort of interesting work, too. But yeah. you know, as you as you think about this uh, experience that you've had, uh, it, you know, over this arc of, of uh, 30, 33 years, um, I, that's a, about the extent that I've been uh, in independent schools myself as a as a professional. I went to an independent school as well. My dad was in it for a long time. Listeners know um, we've seen this business change. Yeah. Uh, college admissions business specifically. So if you had to pick, you know, one or two major uh, pivots or, or changes that you've seen in, uh, in, the, in the process, what would you identify uh, over the course of that time, and especially in these last uh, 15 to 20 years? Yeah, well, I think a couple of things have happened that I think people would, could point at 
and we really think of and say, oh yeah, that would have been a, a big thing. So a couple things I think are coming to mind. One is gonna be the growth of the common application that has made this process easier for students, but not to the extent of they are applying just free form to lots and lots of places. I think there's a myth that goes with that. Mm. But between the common application and the coalition application, I think those have given some wonderful platforms for students to really find the best way to present themselves and give greater ease in doing so. So there's one thing, and I think that's been a good thing. Mm -hmm. so all schools have their own supplements that make it a little bit more difficult. Right. I think, David, as we've seen the economy go up and down, there's been this laser focus on colleges and universities to define value. And I would have to believe at independent schools, you feel that same hit as well. You and I spoke about this. Most definitely. What colleges are going through is going to be simply just a, a blip on the screen that independent schools are gonna be looking at as well. When cost gets to certain levels, how do I define value? How do I define those outcomes? And the interesting thing is, is even though we're a long ways away from that decline in that 2009, 2010 academic year, mm -hmm. this still exists. Yep. And it's still out there asking that question, what am I going to get by being at your school versus being at the state flagship or being at this other school that is going to be offering me the scholarship that is cutting my costs in half? Yep. I'd offer a third turning point as Halloween 2011, and that was the advent of these net price calculators mm -hmm. that I think enabled families to have a greater sense as to what their contribution could be. Mm -hmm. I think those are really good in the sense that there's <clears throat> a disconnect of what am I willing to spend and what do I have the ability to spend? And I think this has really helped families under known, understand what can and, and may not be in their grasp relative to what they have a willingness um, to be paying. And I think the one that we spoke about as well that I think you've got your eye on, and obviously with your college and your, your career team yep. going forward, is gonna be really the birth of this committee-based evaluation and how it's really changing the rubric and more realistically, the time frame by which students are being evaluated. So does it change the way in which students need, your colleagues need by way of your counselors, your teachers, need to be looking to package kids? Those are some of the big ones. Obviously, with that recent one, still, it, that one's growing. Yeah, and we'll circle back to the future of, of the college admissions game for sure, because uh, not just is the uh, mechanics of how one applies and the timing of that they apply, the very notion of, you know, how many kids 15 or 20 years from now might choose to forego a four-year college path to a life of meaning and purpose is one that you know is of interest to me. But maybe back into your answer, just we have some listeners that are some of our lower school parents, for example, uh, the common application, the coalition application, uh, provide, a, provide a short uh, uh, summary education for them on what those two tools are before they get uh, into the process down the road. Both of them are applications that are accepted by a large number of colleges and universities. The common application now with a bandwidth of just over 700, the coalition application, which is still in its infancy, uh, three years in, just over 200 members. And as a result, a student gets to complete much of their information one time. All their information about themselves, their parents, their education, the items in which they've been involved, um, jobs that they've had, accolades that they've received, and then the writing samples. They complete it one time. 
and then each and every college on that list accepts that application to fulfill their admission requirements. With some of the supplements that you mentioned that are additional. And the supplements are typically institution specific. You know, we ask the question at Davidson, why Davidson? we want to know what is it that you know about this place? We have an honor code, so we're looking to ask questions about that as well and what that means. We ask for a book list that students have read in the last year, uh, whether it would be for a school assignment um, in your world or <clears throat> on the outside as well. Mm-hmm. But there's ease that comes with it, and that's what Common App, that's what Coalition application both do. So you mentioned some really good, I would call them macro factors, the Common App, the Coalition App, this notion of the value equation and how parents perceive value in a state school versus, uh, versus a, a private liberal arts college like, uh, like, like Davidson. We certainly are in a state with a, like North Carolina with a terrific uh, state university system. Uh, yeah. and, then you, and then you spoke, of course, about uh, kind of the mechanics of the application process. I'm writing this year and speaking a lot on this, uh, around this theme of perspective. And I will, I will let you react to uh, what I, how I think the perspective on the college admissions processes has shifted uh, from, a, from a sender standpoint, from, a, from an independent school standpoint, and maybe you can react to it as, sure. as, the, as the recipient, which is that to me, you know, uh, in the last 15 to 20 years especially, and I would actually attribute the Common App as being one of the factors that's, you know, raised the number of applicants which has allowed colleges to push down their yield rate, right, and get under that 10% number, kind of the magic elite uh, percentage number that they aspire for, with the requisite uh, omission of that or result being for families and kids, uh, a ratcheting up in the anxiety and stress around the college application process, which is just literally kind of uh, percolated its way down through programs like mine, and in some cases uh, made the learning experience a lot more transactional, right? One yep. man's opinion. So sure. that's kind of from a sender standpoint. As a receiver, ha- have you sensed more anxiety in the perspectives of uh, students and families that are evaluating uh, Davidson? Are you feeling stressed as a senior parent this year, more so than you were for your older two? <laughs> um, yeah, my older two wanted to do early. Uh, <laughs> recruited athlete, so, and this one is like, no, 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 I want to do everything regular. I'm like, no. Yeah, no, go, go early, yeah. yeah that's right. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'll push back a little bit on the growth that is coming by way of comment. Mm-hmm. application. And I think there's this thought that we've just had this, you know, exponential growth over the years, and it's because it's so darn easy. Well, the reality is with all of those supplements that a student needs to fill out, yes, we've made it easier, but there's still a lot of work to be done. So, you know, when we think of the average is still falling in the fours nationwide of kids that have an account submitting on Common App, the average is still in the fours, higher up in New England, less so down your way. Yeah. I don't think that that's what's really driven that exponential drive of applications up as much as these other disingenuous tools that yes. are being used saying, David, congratulations. Yes. You're We'd super love to have you apply. Right. And right. Because you are so smart, you don't have to complete an essay. Yep. Those are the ones, you know, you almost think of it as, you know, here's a cocktail napkin, yep. sign your name to it, there's an application. Mm-hmm. So there has been that. But I also think that these rating agencies have caught wind of this. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, working with Standard & Poor's when they were here evaluating Davidson years ago. 
and they said, tell me about your application numbers and what do you anticipate? And I told them and I said, and I don't use any of those tools. And they're like, what? You're like, oh, you need to be aware of these things. It doesn't take away from your underland, your, what you were saying, your underlying theme of, yeah, there's anxiety that comes with this. And I feel some of it too, because do we want to have, do we want to have a lower acceptance rate? Of course we want to have that. Um, why? Because then we look better. And do we want to have a higher yield rate? Of course. Um, so there is that anxiety, but I do think it's on both sides. Mm -hmm. I do think it's on both sides. I think what has really driven a good bit of that in past years as well has been there's a lot of stuff that is now falling into that early game. We spoke about this. Yep. A lot of the athletic recruiting, it's yep. done it early. Yep. Affiliations that we have with Questbridge, with Posse, um, any of those types of special programs, those are being done it early and they account for a significant portion. Yeah, explain that to the explain that to listeners, Chris, because like you have X number of seats every year. So Davidson right. is gonna have how many freshmen each year? About five fifteen. So of those five hundred and fifteen, what you're talking about in this phenomenon of the quote unquote early right. is that when you take in and we I explored this last year when uh, in some of the visits to Northwestern and others, when you take those five hundred and fifteen seats, um, X number are going to legacies. X numbers are going to go to special talent, potentially. X number are going to be taken by QuestBridge or other special sending programs. So, you know, how many of those seats are, are literally, quote unquote, open, if you will, for the regular application cycle that comes to you uh, after November 1st? Yeah, well, and, and to be honest with you, after February 1st, because we've got two rounds of the early. Too early, yeah. As well. So, and I think you're counting for, you know, what we would say is if you are a legacy student and you want to receive any type of consideration because you're the son or daughter of, you need to do that at early. You've got the athletes. You've got those special programs. We've got a good number of students that we've already accounted for because they've deferred their admission from a year prior. So, that's getting up right at 300, so getting yeah. close to 60%. But for that remaining 200 plus students that we want to enroll on opening day, realize that I am going to be admitting upwards of about four times that number in order to get them to come. Right. If we were to do math and I were to say 515 and I got 300 accounted for, I need 215. I might be going after 860, 870 students, knowing that I want probably about 230 to deposit. I may come in a little bit high, but other schools may use their wait list. Some students might change their mind, yep. changes in family situation. So if you think about that, I've just accounted now for almost 1,200 offers of admission, of which almost 75% of them came by regular decision. Regular. And, and that's a, out of uh, what, six to 8,000 applications that you're going to yeah, get? Yeah, just under six. Just yeah. under six. So an admit rate yeah. of just under 20%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I think, again, I think for parents, you know, that they, they, they rightfully and understandably get so um, concerned about um, the, 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 the resume that their child is building. And I think part of the education that I've tried to provide through some of these podcasts with professionals like you is, is the notion of, um, you know, A, the competitiveness of, of, these, of these environments, uh, the early cycle, the special talent and uh, other uh, phenomenon that go into to filling those early seats uh, just so that families are, are um, uh, equipped to really think broadly, maybe even past four schools, but certainly to four to six that are across a band of schools from uh, what we would call kind of a foundational school, one that your profile has you really well prepared to, to find admission at, 
uh, up through the school that uh, might like Davidson be uh, a, a bit of a reach uh, for you that you don't um, over overweight your um, overweight your list uh, uh, to the higher end to the uh, quote unquote elite end because a it ratchets up this anxiety it ratchets up this pressure uh, and b if you get the broader net you're going to have some schools that really seek you in that pool of uh, you know, 1,200 or so app applicants that you talked about that you're really trying to win to come to Davidson. Yeah. You know? well, and I think one of the things that you brought up before, and I think it's the absolute perfect term, what we don't want. You've been an educator 30 years. You're in the schools. You've been the sender. And here I've been the recipient. What we don't want is students doing things simply for the transactional benefit. Right. How much community service do you have? Check. How much entrepreneurship do you have? Check. Right. My athletics, check. Do I have a job? Check. Yep. Have I cured a disease? Check. You know, this is not what we want people to be doing. I want yep. them doing. I'm not a fan of the word passion. Um, I don't think it goes well with students of that age. Yep. What I want them to do, though, is things that are meaningful to them yep. and bring them joy and bring them um, a meaning of, I, I see benefit in what I am doing for myself, and I love doing that. That's fine. But I don't want them saying, oh, I'm a little bit shy in this. I need to be doing more of that simply because they think colleges will like that. Yeah, uh, and that's the psychology, right? If, if, I, if I had the magic elixir to, uh, to, to, to really, to really uh, demystify that psychology, uh, I'd spread it around liberally. But I, you know, I think, and I think we're all culpable. You know, I think higher ed's been culpable by some of the uh, some of the elements that you've spoken to on reliance on lists and a, and a drive to metrics. I think sending schools like ours have been culpable nationally by pro-offering their their lists and their outcomes as their primary signatures of of worth and and, and value. I think parents have been uh, sucked in and made susceptible to this notion of their definition of success as parents uh, by you know the the bumper sticker that uh, that they that they um, put on the put on the car and so. You know, I, I think my best answer at this point in my career is to, is to control what I can and is to try to make Parish a place where we're reimagining learning is more than the transactional and, and really focusing on building skills and, and joyful learning experiences. And then to continue to educate and talk with others in, in my circle, uh, you know, about our aspiration for a process. It's just a lot more sane and a, and a lot more whole. So when your team sits well, and, down and at the, when you're, uh, yeah, go ahead. I just want to jump on what you're saying. You're, so you changed the dynamic of how you're teaching that in Parish. And you talk yep. about reimagining the way that you're doing things. And all of a sudden, students see things in a different light because now they're taking what they've gotten from your math faculty members classroom and they've applied it in history. And they realize, oh my God, I read about that this summer. And now my science teacher is talking about that. And that's really interesting. And I remember Mr. Monaco saying that. And what are they doing? They're starting to connect things. When students have those types of abilities, and then they can start to present that in their writing, in interviews that they are having, in a question of, why are you interested in coming to Davidson? Do they realize what they have just done? They have elevated themselves to a different level of thinking, to a different level of thought and presentation that is going to be something that we're thinking, I want that. It's much more authentic. Yeah. yeah and, it's, just, it's just clearly much more authentic. And that, that really segues the question I was going to bring it to you. It's like, as your admissions team you know, sits around those those tables in the in the cold cold dark days of you know of, of February March, and they're making their making their decisions. You know, what perspectives from your mission and vision vision and values at Davidson? What perspectives uh, are really ones that you that you focus on the most when you look at an applicant? You've just talked about some of them, folks yeah. that are 
authentically engaged in sort of a meaningful uh, direction of their gifts. But what are, what are some others that, uh, that you guys really focus on? Yeah, and I love the way that you phrase gifts. Well done. Because um, that's exactly what we should be focusing on. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, we're looking for a student that is qualified academically. And, mm -hmm. you know, touch wood, I've got the wonderful benefit due to students that find Davidson and students that I would say that we help define. Yep. They're, they, they are qualified. Yep. They have done great work that allows them to be prepared for what they're going to embrace here. And one of the things that our president would say, president would say is when a student is here, they're going to be seeking new knowledge. It is not going to be, let's look to the back of the book and answer the even questions because those are the ones that have answer in the back. Yep. We want to be figuring out maybe there isn't an answer for these things. So obviously it's the skill set and it's a demonstrated skill set, though we're also looking at potential as well. If there's going to be any type of a, a, a curve that is going on, let's look for a positive slope and a student getting better and stronger as they're increasing the demand that your faculty is putting on them year by year and enhancing their achievement. So the first thing is obviously going to be that. And, we're, and, that, we're, and that means in part, whatever courses your school offers, you should be uh, attempting in a place like Davidson to take the most robust offerings you, you can. And again, we can get into the it's always contextualized as well, because some sure. schools are offering, you know, some offer AP and IB, some right. offer none of them. You know, yeah. some offered AP, and now they're saying we're going to scale away from them yep. um, as well. So spot on. Yeah. And your performance in those courses matter, though you're going to look at a B and an AP or an honors course, you know, differently than you're going to look at, a, at, at an A and a, a what we would call a college preparatory course. So GPA, GPA matters it. to Davidson. Let's talk about test. Let's talk about standardized test scores. So test scores, I will tell you, we have debated, would we ever be a test optional school? Right. The interesting thing is, is those sacred cows with which we most often graze aren't near us. What do we look like? We look like a New England liberal arts college. Mm -hmm. Guess what? We're sitting here in Davidson, North Carolina, near yep. Charlotte. And the other schools that have done it around us don't really, we're not in that same, we, we're not competing with them. Right. So so we have not moved away from it. We've learned from some places that careful what you wish for when you when that happens. So we look at it, but I'm going to tell you this. I mentioned when we had spoken that we utilize and we create an index for every student. There's an academic side, there's a personal side. And test scores do not play into either of those two indices that we create. It is simply a talking point. Why? Because is there bias that can exist with them? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Is there opportunity to do better on those because of privilege that could involve test prep? Right. Absolutely. Yep. So isn't it an element? Yes. But again, it's contextualized and it gives us one data point, one Saturday, one three hour, or aggregated over a number in order uh, for us to understand. But I think the big thing that we then get into is going to be that it's the who else are you? Who else are you? What would you be bringing to this community? How are you going to be adding to the learning of a student who's on the left and right side of you in a classroom, on a team, in a, uh, in a debate room, in, the, in theater, on a, wherever they may be on campus? And I think that's going to be evidenced by what they have written for us. Why are you interested in Davidson? What have you learned about this place? What do your teachers tell us about you and the manner in which you learn and how, you know, if they're saying, my gosh, if I weren't here any given day, Tim could be the one leading the class. Well, boy, then we may want to have Tim there. Yep. Um, 
it, it brings us back, David, then to that list of things that they have done. And again, as you said, if you could find the elixir of the exact right. Yeah, do that, right. It's not that. It's what you've done, and it's the why behind it. And have you enumerated those traits, eight to 10 of them is like, you know, creativity, for example, or collaborative. Like I know some universities, Clark was uh, telling me at Georgia Tech, they, they've, they've really sought to sort of articulate those in a list. And have you done those so that when you interview a student or read their essay or what have you, you're able to kind of code for those or are you, are you all a little less formulaic? It's, a less, it's going to be less formulaic. And again, remembering that everybody is coming into a committee room as well. Yeah. So it's usually going to be spoken of, of here are the things that I really like. Right. You know, as we look at an index score that we create that hits on a number of things that, you know, range from, from leadership to our peer, um, to our peer recommendation yep. coming in to, you know, from creativity to um, spirit of community um to leadership to creativity to leadership you know there's a number of different things but all the, those numbers are is a starting point for our conversation to mm -hmm. say let me offer highlights from the counselor recommendation and the teacher recommendation and this is what i liked here yeah um you know a, a word that is used often is a bridge builder who's the student that <clears throat> sees that there's the need within this community and then does it not for the transactional benefit right. but simply because of social justice draws them to that. And I think another, another big piece of that is you talk about the, 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 the perspectives that you all take on kids to help, again, I hope, I, I hope to assuage and, and reduce some of the anxiety for parents is the notion that a, a student who fits beautifully into your class of 2022 can have those same characteristics, but when you're looking at him or her for the class of 2023, may not be a match, right? Because you know, the institution's needs have changed. The applicant pool dimension has changed. So I often try to underscore that this is, uh, this is calculus, you know, not simple arithmetic in the way that um, college admissions committees like yours are looking at a class on a year by year basis. So don't get yourself all verklempt about this. Choose widely, broadly in, in a good suite of schools and, and, and let some of that um, stress and anxiety filter away because you just don't control it. As a sending parent, you just don't control it. Yeah, and David, I think unfortunately, you're, I think you're very, very smart with that as well because knowing that so many schools are looking at that two-dimensional diagram that is better known as family connections or naviance, and we're plotting two different points. Yep. And if by chance you exceed to the top right corner, somebody else who has been admitted a year before, you're thinking, come on, I got it. I'm in. Yeah, right. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, and I've had conversations with, you know, counselors over the years that say, you know, you admitted number seven in our class, but you denied number two. Yeah, we did. What did number seven bring? And you know exactly what they brought. You know, this is a student that is the backbone of your school. This is the student who is the not the out front leader, but is the glue that keeps everything going. And in our community, we need that. They both can do great work here, but it's what else? So there's elements of that predictability that we want. Yep. And I, would I love to have it right now again as a senior parent? Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, there's not that guarantee that goes with that. So you're yep. right, things can change by the year. Um, you know, I, we're, we're always looking for the person to play the bassoon and we're always looking for the three point shooter and we're always looking for the visual artist. And I'm always looking for that bridge builder and I need somebody to be backstage and making things run. 
a lot of those things are needed each and every year. But I think there are some of those nuances that are obviously going to, to bring difference and excitement, um, a different level of excitement to a class each year. So let's just finish up with uh, a little bit on, on Davidson. And, and uh, we've got a present student there, Max Zucker, who was a graduate in our class of 2016 and uh, had a couple graduates uh, two, two years yeah. ago from Davidson uh, who are now out in the, out in the work world uh, and, and doing great in, uh, in Kate Hall and Robbie Woodward. But, um, you know, it, the, the dimension of higher ed is, is shifting. One of the reasons I've come to see folks like you all is to get a sense that uh, as those of you who are sitting around the, the strategy tables uh, working with folks like President Quillen are, uh, what are the conversations they're having about the need for colleges to, to evolve and move forward, in part right. back to your earlier point about value uh, and, to, and to continue to be a place where significant tuitions are, are seen as, as worthy, of the, uh, worthy of the investment, uh, but also because the world is changing. So I was struck, of course, uh, in reading up uh, on, uh, on President Quillen because you know, she's actually talking there about reimagining the liberal arts and we had perished uh, to, um, to, to some overwhelm and, uh, and sense of fatigue on the folks here at, at our community since 2014 and been talking about reimagined parish and this notion of how to really rethink the independent school experience uh, to inarguably prepare kids for this complex global society, but to do so in a way that maintains their well-being and their passion for learning and their love of learning. So tell us a little bit about um, a couple of the features of this reimagining the liberal arts that you all are pursuing uh, at, at Davidson. Many, by the way, are going to be very much aligned with some of the same aspirations we have for our program here. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the things that it is doing is I think so many of these different majors that a college or university would have, we exist in these different silos. Right. They never do too touch, ever, ever. Yep. I think the only time that they would ever touch is for the student who thinks about pre-med. Yep. And there, there's this existing need to interact with one another. But otherwise, when and where does it happen? We've heard over years students designing their own majors. But I think one of the things that Carol is really looking for is a greater creativity that can come by way of proximity. And with the creation of our new wall center, we have places where faculty members who may be in the sciences but may not can embed themselves. And now when it comes time to have a cup of coffee or at the change of classes, now an English faculty member is interacting with a biologist or a psychology faculty member is now interacting with an economist. And the type of conversation that starts to happen as a result of that is gonna be vastly different. I think one of the, a real interesting class that came about was one of the first ones, and I think to this day, it, it, it's simply fascinating, is a biologist and an English faculty member came together, David Westner and Anne Fox. Anne is an English faculty member. Her, her specialty is coming with literature and disability concentrating on women. Dave is a biologist, a geneticist, one who is looking at cancer and the implications that it has on body. So now those two come together and talk about this and create a class that is taking Anne's specialties, Dave's specialties, right. putting them together, yep. and all of a sudden, think of the dynamic in a classroom that as you're talking about the implications of a person going through a cancer treatment and what, a, what do the meds that they take do to the body? Well, it does this. Now, from a literature standpoint, how can we document what happens? What are the social implications with that? What are the cultural? What are the economic? 
And all of a sudden you are looking at something very, very differently for the student who's thinking about down the road being a physician yep. and realizing, think about that student when it comes time to patient care and what they're going to be thinking in the back of their head because of an exposure that they have had from one class. Yeah, that's and a I great, that, great example of that like level that of empathy. Captivating yep. to think of what it, what it could do. And this can and will happen all the time. Yep. Um, so it's looking and getting students and faculty to be challenged to say, all right, David, you're thinking about being an economics major, but what are we going to link with that that is going to, number one, you know, bring, you're going to be fired up about going to those other classes. For sure. What's going to be a good compliment? Okay, you grew up in this area. Have you ever thought about taking this literature class or have you ever thought about taking a sociology class? I think those are the ways that are going to bring excitement and that skill set then it's going to be developed that is going to be something that is needed because then Carol also talks, you're talking about uh, reimagining the liberal but then what does she talk about? When you've done that, you make a transition to impact. So whether you go in and whether our students are coming and they're coming down to parish to be one of your faculty members, the impact that they're going to be making with your kids and with their peers on the faculty, it's going to be exponentially larger as a result to exposures and skills that they have had that aren't textbook, that aren't expected, that aren't siloed. And I think that's where we're going. Yeah, we talk about those silos all the time. And I love, I love Carol's reference to synergistic curriculum, which is just a fancy way of, of saying what you described, which is curriculum that really feeds, uh, feeds each other through disciplines. We've merged our middle school English and uh, social studies programs, for example, into humanities, again, to kind of create that notion of synergy. Our STEM programs are, are rich to that regard. And then we talk a lot about this very element of impact that you spoke about, not just in terms of the character and leadership development we do with our kids, but really this idea of uh, meaningful, authentic work, like taking your work, you all there talk about original work inside and outside the classroom. Right. Like, what's this application of the work doing uh, to help me see it contextualize in the world that, you know, you call them creative global citizens. We call them people of impact in the complex global society. It's very much the same language, but it's this notion that the, the learning's got to have some relevance and connectivity to, uh, to, the, to the context of the world, in, in, in part, to get that level of engagement and, and passion for learning. So I'm glad you're exploring it. And I think, you know, again, with, with some subjectivity to a liberal arts uh, college as, as a graduate of one, with 515 freshmen, you know, roughly, you know, 2,500 students or so in your undergraduate, your ability to um, explore in a much more personalized way for students these intersections of exciting curricular ideas is one huge advantage that you have over, for example, uh, UNC Chapel Hill, fantastic university. Yeah. You just have this ability to, to, to go really deep and personal with your students, which is uh, a nice thing. Well, and I love the way you're saying that. There's, there's a natural way for us to overlap, which is which it, it, it can just happen all the time. We can be a little bit more nimble, right. and size allows us to do that. The other thing is, is and, and you'll say this with your faculty and with your kids as well, what can you do? You can experiment. You can fail. Yep. You know what? That was a horrible idea, but aren't you glad that we did it? Mm -hmm. uh, and we learned something from it. So the next time, what do we do? Yep. We'll, we'll, we'll do it differently. We'll do it better. Um, so I, it, it's, an, it's an exciting time. And by the way, you're talking about Davidson. I'm going to put you on the staff. You know, be, <laughs> well, you know, my sister-in-law went there. She, my sister-in-law went there, and she will not like it if I don't uh, don't don't give a shout out. And we, of course, sent a lot of our kids from Ravenscroft down there. So, 
know and respect it well. And I would, in closing, I'd commend all of our families here. It's a little bit hard to get Texas families to think about looking north, even north, only to North Carolina. You know, they fear like it's going to snow every day, or I, I'm not really sure what it is. I wish it would. <laughs> I wish I could. I'm a Philadelphia yeah. boy that you is. Know, I mean, more and more, we're seeing uh, we're seeing our families take the time to go visit uh, schools up through the Mid Atlantic. I would commend a trip, you know, up south through Furman and and Wofford, up to see Davidson and and go to see Elon and High Point University and go see the uh, go see the fine state universities in the state of uh, of North Carolina. Move up through Virginia. It is well worth sweeping. Um, through that segment of the community to just understand the breadth of, uh, of some schools outside this region. So uh, when you do, um, stop by and, and, and see Chris Gruber and, and sit. Please do. Dallas. Please do. And Meredith High is going to be down your way. So um, a fantastic member of our staff and a graduate of one of those places you just mentioned. But yeah. now here's the red and black very, very well. Yep. You know, from where you sit, you know, you guys are in an interesting part of the country. You can look you know, to the West Coast, you can Absolutely. look North, you can look East. So you've got, you know, you're central in so many ways. Yep. And, you know, we're not far. We're not yep. far. So come see us. Yeah, Davidson too, but the, you know, proximity to Charlotte, one of the major financial centers on the East Coast, they're just, yep. uh, you know, 15, 20 miles outside Charlotte. So while Davidson's uh, wonderfully quaint and uh, small town, North Carolina, and most every way, it, it is, uh, it is really a, 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 an exurban uh, location uh, close to close to Charlotte for those of you that are unfamiliar with where it sits I know you all know Seth Curry and you know his affiliation with Davidson so uh, that sure part works <laughs> but, but there's a there, there's a lot that, there's a lot else that the uh, that the area offers so uh, Chris thanks for the time today great to catch up again we'll look forward to seeing Meredith here I assume uh, within the next several weeks as the colleges start to pour under our campus for uh for the fall season. So we'll look forward to saying hi to her, but uh, great to be with you. Thanks for taking some time to be on front of my angle with me. I love doing it. Thanks so very much, David. You take care. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Thanks now. Bye-bye. Awesome. Thank you for joining me for this episode of From My Angle. Please rate us and share us with those in your community of friends and colleagues. In my next podcast, we will visit with Denise Pope, senior lecturer at Stanford's Graduate School of Education and author of books and articles on the teaching and learning culture of today's college preparatory schools. I know you'll find her calls to reconsider the type of school experiences our children have to be compelling. Until next time, thank you for being with us on the From My Angle podcast.